is Truth Talks. Thanks for tuning in to the Truth Talks podcast. I'm your host, Buddy Boone. I am here today via the interwebs, the internets, uh, the pastor of Bellcroft Bible Church. His name is Pastor Matt White. How you doing today, sir? I am doing good, buddy. It's uh, even through the interwebs, it's good to be with you. Yeah, man. Thanks. Hey, uh, just a, a little note. Do you have your phone on vibrate today? I'm uh, looking <laughs> at it right now. Yeah, I had to. It does, it does go off a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, a little bit. No, it's, <laughs> it's a little more than that. You know, you are uh, a shepherd, so, you know, an under shepherd. So people are, your sheep are, are peeping, trying to trying to get in, get in contact with you. So. So last time uh, we talked about um, sin, uh, the last two times we actually talked about sin, uh, I will encourage everyone as well to go back and listen to the first part of the Indwelling Sin Sermon by Charles Spurgeon that I put up uh, a couple of days ago. Um, I will be putting more, and that's kind of, I wonder, I, I was trying to think of a name to call that. I was going to call it uh, Sermons by Dead Guys, but I was like, eh, it might not sound the greatest. So I, sa- I said Sermons of uh, preacher's past or something like that. So, uh, it'll, it'll be coming up and I'll just be doing sermons of some guys that have, uh, gone before us and, uh, paved the way to very good sound doctrine. And, uh, Charles Spurgeon has to be one of my favorite preachers. Um, and then it goes John MacArthur and then Matt White. So, you know, are you okay with being third? I, I shouldn't even be your head. third. You I shouldn't. shouldn't even be third. Okay. Well, I was trying to go with people that are alive, too, so <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yes. All right. So um, today we're actually going to uh, go the opposite of sin, um, and godliness would be uh, a good place to start. Would that be right, Matt? Or Yeah, yeah. Be, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, so, so, you know, the opposite of sin in, in many ways is obedience, to be technically accurate, right? So sin is disobedience. Right. Um, however you want to look at it, whether it's passive or active, we talked about that. Sin can be that which you do and that which you don't do, uh, doing the things God forbids and not doing the things that God commands. Mm-hmm. So the opposite of sin on, on, a, on a technical level would be obedience. Obedience is the key to everything. Obedience is the call. Obedience is what God is after. Obedience from the heart above all things. And so, um, so obedience, but what does obedience look like, right? What does obedience manifest? What, how does obedience, uh, um, what is, what is the mark of obedience? And that's where godliness comes in, right? Mm, Godliness is nothing more than the outward manifestation of obedience. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. Um, obedience from the heart, right? The inner conviction of commitment, which is obedience comes out through the outer workings of faithfulness or godliness. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so it would be good and right to turn the corner from talking about disobedience to talking about obedience, and really the 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 life of obedience will always be and must be one of godliness. Mm-hmm. If you're not, if you don't have attributes of godliness in your life, well, then you're you're um, clearly not walking in obedience because we're commanded to be godly. Mm-hmm. We're commanded to pursue godliness. We're commanded to train ourselves to godliness. We're commanded to put on godliness. Mm-hmm. So no matter how you how you slice it, um, it all comes back to godliness. And uh, so absolutely, it's a good turn of the corner because sin in every way is wickedness, mm-hmm. right? Is uh, 
And so uh, godliness would be akin to synonymous in many levels, though you could try to differentiate, but it's, it's really hard to holiness, right? So right. Sin is, is the lack of holiness, the lack of godliness. It's selfishness. It's wickedness. Godliness is holiness. It's selflessness. So, where, where would righteousness fall in there? Because, you know, I, I would imagine that it would have, have, you know, a very close relation to uh, godliness. Where would righteousness fall in there? Yeah, righteousness is, is definitely uh, akin to godliness. It's close to it. Mm-hmm. Yet it's more, it's more specific than godliness. Godliness is more of a broader, like holiness, mm-hmm. right? It's more of a broader topic that covers righteousness that pulls in righteousness, but righteousness um, by way of the description is more of, of uh, just deeds. That word righteousness means, uh, means justice or right acts or right deeds. Mm-hmm. And so when you're a man marked by righteousness, you're a man that does right, right? And so it's really honing in more on, on the deeds that you do or the life you lived is one lived in righteousness, meaning you're always doing what's right. Mm-hmm. So it's, it tends to be more specific to the deeds you do, the walk you walk, uh, the acts that are manifested versus more of the character. Mm-hmm. The character is more godliness. Right. The actual deeds are more righteousness. So, you know, it's splitting hairs on many levels, but there is a difference. Okay. And righteousness tends to be uh, more deeds-driven works driven right. the manifestation of, of the life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take the same, uh, you know, same steps or same approach that we did for sin and just kind of go down the, the who, what, when, why, where, how much, uh, <laughs> however many questions just to kind of get a very clear description and define godliness. Um, but not just that, but also the, the, you know, the who, what, when, where, why basically. Uh, so let's start with the, the, what, what would, what is godliness? Well, um, in the Greek word, eusebia, which is the term used for godliness in the new Testament, um, literally means awesome, awesome respect accorded to God. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, Godliness is is our is our response to who God is, right? Mm-hmm. And so godliness, that's why it has that term God in it. Right. Right. And so many have said godliness is God likeness, mm-hmm. not that you become like God, but yet you manifest a character, a conduct that represents God, that is like God in holiness, in righteousness, mm-hmm. and all of those things. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, it's Godliness is always begins with and is driven by God. Mm-hmm. God is the foundation, not man, right? It's not manliness. We're not talking about <laughs> that. We're talking about godliness, meaning he is the foundation and the focus. Right. And that gets lost a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes in the pursuit of godliness or in the um, training oneself to godliness, man becomes the focal point. Mm-hmm. Whether it's looking at other men, like a John MacArthur, Charles Spurgeon, right. whoever else you listed, like looking at them and saying, I want to be like them. Well, that's biblical in the sense of Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Mm-hmm. But best to look at Christ, best to look at God, right? And by looking at God, you have to look at Christ. Yeah. He's, he's the avenue. Mm-hmm. So that's the focal point. It, it begins with God. It ends with God. It is godliness, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's why... That Greek term is helpful, even that it's 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 
how we respond, respect, uh, based upon who God is. So mm-hmm. it's all driven by his character, which, which then changes mine. And so I've always said, even based on like uh, 1 Peter 1, 15, 16, where Peter says, um, essentially, we're commanded to live in holiness, live in the fear of the Lord and holiness. And it's what be holy as I am holy. Mm-hmm. That's what Peter is quoting out of Exodus. And that is that is without question one of the clearest, most helpful verses that drives what godliness, holiness really is. And it is God's character, holy, godly, that now changes my conduct, mm-hmm. godliness. Mm-hmm. So godliness is is really a description of who the believer is and becomes. Now that's important. I use two terms there that weren't con- that aren't contradicting, though it sounds like it, right? Mm-hmm. Is and becomes. Mm-hmm. So godliness begins, and I'm saying this very specifically and repeating it because it gets often <clears throat> missed. Begins with God, focuses on God, is from God, it's all about God, mm-hmm. and um, because godliness, like righteousness, which you asked in, you asked about a minute ago, is all a gift from God. So you have to start there. Most people don't, but you have to. Godliness is something that I strive for, I train myself for, I I pursue, but that's down the road. That's more practical, that's more temporal, that's more sanctification. Godliness ultimately begins as a gift from God that comes through Christ. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that, there is no hope and there is no fruitfulness. There is no um, blessing that you're pursuing or training yourself to godliness will amount to anything other than frustration, disappointment, and the on again, off again, on again, off again, which most guys are familiar with. Yeah. It has to be given. It has to be given by God as a gift from God, which it is to everyone who truly believes. Yeah. That's why in First uh, Corinthians one, one, I think it's verse thirty, thirty-one where it literally says that because of him, that's God, you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us sanctification, justification. Here you go. Here's your word, righteousness, Mm -hmm. right? Our righteousness Mm -hmm. really comes from Christ. It's a gift from Christ. He's talking about positional. He's talking about our positional holiness or our sanctification or our positional sanctification being set apart from sin. All of that comes from Christ. So mm-hmm. godliness has to begin there, and most people miss that, lose that, and they're they're done. Yeah. Once if you don't start there, you're you're not talking about what the Bible talks about. Yeah, I was. You definitely took us towards the next part of this, uh, whereas the where, like where does the godliness come from? Um, yeah. And you know we can get to the what. Uh, uh, sorry, not the what, but the the who, but the where is is probably where it should go first because that then leads to the who. Am I correct? Yes, yeah. So the where the where helps define the what, right? Mm-hmm. So um, at the end of the day, um, it's it's all about you know God's character defining and determining and driving my conduct. So godliness ultimately is nothing more than a life reflective of God's character. That's, that's, that's really all it is. It's a life that's pursuant in obedience, right? And in killing sin, if you want to get specifics, right? 
-hmm. what does a godly life look like? It looks like an active, faithful, obedient life where you're living in repentance, you're killing sin, you're putting on holiness, all of these things that Colossians 3, Ephesians 4, all of those things that are commanded. But at the end of the day, the most simple definition, the clearest, most helpful definition is godliness is a reflection of God, where my character now is actively, not perfectly, that's not going to, that would never happen and um, until we get to glory and we're glorified and sin is eviscerated. But uh, in this time, we can glorify God as we're godly because we are reflecting his character. His character is now changing our life to where we're becoming like Christ, i.e. his character. We're becoming like his son. And in so doing, we are now demonstrating godliness. Now that gets fleshed out in all those active commands that I just said, mm -hmm. killing sin, putting on righteousness, putting on Christ, all of that. That's the practical side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So uh, the, the, the what and the where uh, have been taken and it's now the who. Uh, uh, I, I guess the best way to ask it is who defines godliness would be a good uh, question. Well, uh, also, who it, is, is, would practice godliness, you know? Yeah. Well, let me go back and, and just break it down even further because this will help add, add, to, add to it even more. So godliness um, comes from three different um, – I like to think of it from three different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Think of it, the three, I call it the three pillars of godliness mm -hmm. um, to get a biblical uh, vantage point on it. So godliness, number one, begins with who God is. Mm -hmm. Godliness is a, is a response to who God is, right, in his character. Mm -hmm. Godliness is a response to what God has said in his word. So that's the scriptures, because that's we go to the scriptures to find out about God. Mm -hmm. So godliness is a result of the scriptures. The Bible says this, repeats this over and over again. And godliness is a result of the gospel. Mm -hmm. So it takes all three of them to bring about godliness. And that, that not only defines what it is, but it also defines where it comes from, right? It comes from seeing and knowing and growing in the character of God which is simply the fear of the Lord. That's, mm -hmm. that's, what, that's the impetus of godliness. That's what 2 Corinthians 7, 1 literally says. And so, um, so we train ourselves, 1 uh, Timothy um, 4, right, 7, we train ourselves to godliness by what? Getting into God's word, first and foremost, mm -hmm. because it's in God's word that we know God's character. And as we know God's character, we understand God's grace in the gospel and all of that now becomes the um the uh what's what would be that becomes the lane in which you run as a believer and therefore are are training yourself or becoming godly so you got to go to god's word that's psalm one the psalm one man is the godly man on so many levels he is the picture of the godly man he doesn't walk with sinners he doesn't sit with the scornful he mm -hmm. doesn't go the way of the mocker. Why? Because his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on that law, he meditates day and night. Mm -hmm. He's like the tree planted by the streams of living water, meaning he's bearing fruit and season. Mm -hmm. Therefore, he's showing godliness. Why? Because his life is saturated in scriptures. Mm -hmm. Titus uh, 1, 1 says the same thing. Paul goes to the churches in Crete for, for, for one reason, to preach the truth, 
so that they might have lives marked by godliness, mm -hmm. showing very clearly that godliness is a result of the truth. When the truth takes hold in your life, godliness is the fruit that comes out. Mm -hmm. So it takes, you know, they go hand in hand. So you got the word of God and you've got the godly life, but then you have the character of God and the godly life, but then you have the gospel, right? The mm -hmm. gospel of grace, which is Christ, Christ likeness. Mm -hmm. That's second uh, Corinthians 3, uh, 18, where God is transforming our lives from one image of glory to glory. To glory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how, where does that come from? Focusing on Christ. Mm -hmm. Second, uh, or first Peter, um, second Peter 3, 18, grow in the grace and the knowledge of the mm -hmm. Lord Christ. That's how we grow in godliness and train ourselves in godliness. Mm -hmm. So it takes all three. You've got to be in the word. I tell You've heard me say this, I don't know how many times. Mm -hmm. If you think you're going to train yourself to godliness without being in the word of God, you're lying. It's not yeah. going to happen. It's God's method. It's his means of grace to bring about godliness in the life of his people is his word. Mm -hmm. And the purpose of his word, it's not like a hidden treasure hunt. The purpose of his word is to show us his character, that we might know him. It's our Zoom call, if you will. Right? Right. It's his word. That's right. where we go to see him to hear from him, to learn from him. And so you go to his word to learn about him, which is all the fear of the Lord. And then, and, and then ultimately you grow in the grace of God. So those three areas are it, godliness is a result of the word. It's the result of growing in God's character. And it's a result of being overwhelmed, overwhelmed by God's grace. All right. That's good. That's good. So, um, we got the what, and we have the where, uh, I would say, why? Why is it that we should practice godliness? Um, why is godliness a, a thing? Awesome question. Yeah. Probably one of the most important. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you why. Because this is the very purpose of God for our life. Okay. This gets to the core. This gets down to the very reason why God has saved us mm -hmm. is to make us holy. So, so to not, this is so, buddy, I can't express to you enough how foundational this is and how this separates the true gospel from the false gospel, okay. which there, there are so many false gospels. But the one that we are most inundated with in the evangelical church is this idea that you can be saved, but you don't necessarily have to be godly. Like that's a second level of, of living. You can have your, your ticket to heaven, what I often will call, you can have your fire insurance to get out of hell free card, right. but you don't necessarily have to give up your sin and change your life. That is so common in the modern church. I'd say that is the gospel of the modern church. That is, that is a false gospel. May it be damned, as the scripture says so clearly. Mm -hmm. That's what Paul means literally when he says, may it be anathema. That's 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 exactly what that means. Mm -hmm. May it be forever eviscerated from the planet. And uh, but it's not because it's from the pit of hell. Mm -hmm. And so the reality is the true gospel is God saves every soul that he saves for the ultimate purpose of making them godly, because it's in that place that they then can and will glorify him. Mm -hmm. So it all goes back to bringing him glory. And we bring God glory as we're godly. That's the whole, that's the whole point. Right. And Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1, verse uh, 3, 4, literally says that, 
that we were elect before the foundation of the world. So this is even getting before the world was even created. God set down election as that really the first step towards our salvation. And we are elect for the purpose of being holy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just lays it out. This is the whole reason. Of course, Romans 8, back to your uh, fun little uh, uh, rabbit trail the other day on the order, order of Salutis, right? right? That's mm -hmm. the whole point, right? Yeah. That, that's, I mean, he lays it out, that it starts with this and it ends with glorification, which really is, is godliness eternal, right? Yeah. So now we have it godliness temporal, even momentary, right? Where we have it positionally, we're in Christ, but but practically, man, it's it's like this, right? Yeah, we're, we're godly, down. and then we're not. Up and down, right? yeah. Yep. But glorification is there is there is no down. Mm -hmm. It's godly all the time, yeah. right? And that's the point. That's the ultimate reason that we are uh, saved is that we might be godly. And really, it's interesting. Um, many passages of Scripture teach this, but like you go to Colossians three. Or do you go to Ephesians 4 and 5? And really what Paul is teaching, and I think I've, I've preached sermons on this in the past and even used this as a title because it's so foundational. And what Paul is teaching in those passages is he's telling the Christians to literally be who you are or be who you will be now. Be who you are. Be who you will be now. Be, be that now, even though you won't be it till later, or be who you are now in Christ. Do that now, because we're constantly, it's Romans 6, we're constantly acting like we're still in the flesh, but we're actually in Christ. We're actually holy. We're actually justified. We're righteous, mm -hmm. meaning declared right in God's sight. It's that declaration. We are righteous, meaning, meaning God looks at us and all he sees is right, right? Why? Because I do right? No because I'm in Christ. And so Paul's point is, be who you are. You are holy, now be holy. Yeah. And, uh, and so um, there's many reasons why. Now, that's the foundational reason. That's the undeniable reason. That's the most important reason. Because why? Because if I'm saved and I'm not, I have no signs, no fruits, no desire, no longing to be godly and to grow in godliness, then I have no reason None whatsoever to think I'm saved. Hmm. Doesn't mean that that I, I I don't have times of godliness and then I sin. Yes, that's normal, right? First John makes that really clear. But to live a life and say, no, I'm a Christian while I'm while I'm, you know, on the porn channel, while I'm, you know, beating my kids, while I'm cursing out my wife, while I'm getting drunk, while I'm chasing other women, whatever it is, mm -hmm. and that's my life. And then I and then I come back when somebody confronts me and I say, No, I'm a Christian. It's like, what are you kidding me? Yeah. You got nothing in your life that screams godliness. You got everything in your life that screams sinfulness, wickedness. So that is so important. God saved you to make you godly, and he's going to do it incrementally over time, called sanctification through the scriptures, by growing in the fear of the Lord and growing in the grace of God. And that's that's why it's so important. Now, the other reason is, so that's the foundational reason, right. what I would call the theological reason. Mm -hmm. But there's one that I would call the emotional reason. And I, yes, I use that term. Uh -oh. Emotional? <laughs> emotional reason, right? 
So I gave, I gave you the theological or the doctrinal reason. Mm -hmm. Now let's go to the practical or the emotional reason. And this is flat out, point blank, because the love of Christ compels me. Mm. Because I am blown away that a wicked, wretched sinner as me, as I am, that God would save me and pull me out of the pit of my own pride and arrogance and filth Mm. and would make me holy, robe me in the righteousness of Christ, kill his son so that I might live for him. And I want nothing more than to please him. Mm. I want nothing more than to live for him. I want nothing more than to pursue him. That's the practical. That's what I call the emotional. That's the motivational, right? right. And we see that throughout scripture, Second Corinthians 5, right? Paul says, the love of Christ compels me to do what I do. Paul says what? I do everything, 2 Corinthians 5, 9. I do everything to please him. Mm -hmm. uh, Philippians 3, Paul says, I haven't attained. Attained what? Godliness, Christ-likeness. But the one thing I do is forget everything that is, that is with me and behind me, and I strive right. ahead for one reason. Mm -hmm. What is it? To be godly, yeah. to be like Christ. Why? What, what drove Paul? It, was he doing that because he had to to get to heaven? No, he was already there. Yeah. He was doing it because of everything God had done. Now you see why I said godliness has to begin with God. I don't pursue this in trying to attain something. I pursue this because I've already attained it as a grace, sovereign gift of God. That's exactly opposite of what most people would think, though. And Absolutely. I say that because, you know, you would almost imagine that if you do enough stuff, that it would do that. I, we were trying to explain indulgences to the girls the other day. And it's like, cause they were like, well, who's Martin Luther? I'm glad you asked. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So it's like, we're, we're trying to explain, you know, what indulgences were and the Pope and whoever that, you know, who, who the Pope is and the diet of worms. And they're like, what are indulgences? I was like, well, indulgences are those things that uh, you would basically pay money for to, to, to clear your sin. So yep. if you do enough stuff and they're like, wait a minute, but, and I'm like, yeah, you, you got to realize, and that's why I'm glad you pointed out that, uh, the godliness starts, godliness starts with God. Cause yep. if it started with us, then that would be the standard, you know, yeah. that we would be the standard where godliness is like literally, you know, coming from it, manliness, how uh, you would explain it. But, you know, it's kind of like, you know, from that point, that's where it starts. And then we declare what the rules are with us declaring what the rules are. Then, you know, we can change it however we want to, but we will always 100% not think that we are as dirty as we are because we're the ones that are, that are making the rules. Does that makes totally. sense. Totally. Totally. Yeah, no, that's always the issue. And, and that's why I don't know how many times I've done this. And so I, I don't want to exaggerate, but I can tell you, it every time, every single time I've done this and I've taught on this so many times, whether it's retreats or Sunday schools or men's classes or wherever. And I've done it. I've done it in different churches. I've done it in different places. I've done it in different age groups. The answer is always the same every time. So I'll ask somebody to define godliness or explain godliness to me. And every single time they come back with attributes mm -hmm. every time they'll say, well, it's, it's, it's uh, peace, it's joy, it's, it's gentleness, kindness, self-control. 
right? They're going through the fruit of the spirit. Humility. Every time, every time it's, well, godliness is, is the man of humility and all these things. And it's always amazed me how everybody always goes there, but I understand why, because they're looking at the outer life. They're looking, like you said, they're looking to themselves and saying, I'm going to figure out how to be godly. And godly to me is when I become humble, when I become kind, when I become uh, self-controlled and all these things. Mm -hmm. The problem is we become the measure. And then I say, so who decides? Who decides when you're humble? Who decides when you're, you know, kind and gentle? Well, ultimately you do, right? Ultimately you eventually say, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm kind now. Mm -hmm. Rather than understanding that godliness begins and ends with God right? Christ is the standard, not us, right? right? And so those things are, are important and we're commanded to have them, but those are the fruits of a godly life. Mm -hmm. Those aren't the focus of a godly life. The fruits just, they just come off the tree because the root, the focus Mm -hmm. of the godly life is Christ, is God himself. Mm -hmm. And so when that happens, that's Paul in Philippians three, Paul doesn't say I'm pursuing humility. I'm pursuing self-control. I'm pursuing, you know, to be gentle and patient, which all of those things are commanded that we're commanded to put on. Mm -hmm. And so pursuing them isn't bad. But Paul's point is that's not my focus. My focus is Christ because he is the ultimate man of humility. He is the ultimate kind man. He is the ultimate man of patience. So if I'm going after those things, and I should, I go after them by looking at Christ. So I often will say godliness by a list or godliness by the Lord. Yeah. Go for the Lord mm-hmm. and you will you will then manifest all the things on the list in Galatians 5 and all of that mm-hmm. by your by your saturation of scripture and the savior. Good, good. The next question would be the that I already asked. I didn't ask the who. No, I asked the why. Who would be the next question who is to practice godliness uh who does the uh scriptures that we see about godliness who do they affect and you know i I think we already answered the question who who, uh defines godliness we've already established that but who defines it and who delivers it god right Mm -hmm. it's he defines it because it's all about his character Mm -hmm. again i like first peter one be holy as I am holy. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, there, there's your definition, right? God's character determines my conduct. Hmm. My conduct of godliness is not me determining it. It's God. He is the rubric. He is the standard. Hmm. Um, who delivers it? Christ, right? He is our righteousness. He is our godliness. It's a gift of the gospel. It's given to us uh, uh, theologically, doctrinally at the gospel, positionally at the gospel, and then progressively it's given to us through the Holy Spirit as we pursue Christ by killing sin and focusing on his holiness. And then who, who is supposed to be godly? Everyone, right? That's mm-hmm. the point. Uh, everyone is called to live for God. Right. Everyone is called to, again, awesome respect accorded to God. Mm-hmm. That's godliness. A life marked by awesome fear of the Lord, awesome respect accorded to him, meaning driven to him, based upon him, that's the command for everyone. Everyone's commanded to worship. Everyone's commanded to uh, live for the Lord. And sin is nothing more at the end of the day than what? Think about it. Um, Romans 3, Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned 
And what's the rest of the verse? Fall short of the glory of God. Okay, so what is the glory of God? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> what, what, who, first of all, who falls short of it? Everyone. Mm -hmm. And then what are they falling short of? The Answer, of the they're falling short of the very reason God created them, was mm. to glorify him. So everyone falls short of it. Everyone, here's, here's the word, misses the mark, mm -hmm. misses the goal, has lost the purpose. And the purpose was a life that glorifies God which is a godly life. Mm -hmm. So everyone has missed it. Therefore, everyone now God commands to come back to that. Repent from going your way of sin and come back to the life of holiness mm -hmm. in my son, in Christ. So of course, that's why we're commanded. We're commanded to be godly. Second, uh, Second Peter 1, without question, put on godliness. Mm -hmm. uh, First Timothy 4, train yourself to godliness, right? Everyone is commanded mm -hmm. uh, to be that and to do that. And um, so no one gets a pass on it yeah. and, uh, without question. That's good. Uh, so I went through the what, the where, the why, and the when would be <laughs> the next question. Uh, yeah. when, when is godliness appropriate? When are we to practice godliness? Uh, yeah, that, that, I, so, I think that would be two good questions. So um, when... I will, I'll, I'll answer it this way. You become godly at the moment you become a true believer. You become in, you're in Christ. So, and I keep trying to teach this at Belcroft and I pray people are getting it more and more, mm -hmm. but I, I don't think we can hear it enough. Union with Christ, or to put it more pedestrian, being in Christ is what salvation is all about. Mm -hmm. Salvation is nothing more or should I say nothing less would be a better way to say it. It's nothing less than being in Christ. To not be saved is to be out of Christ, apart from Christ. What, what Paul says often, and John, for that matter, says you're in the world. So that's the unsaved are in the world. The saved are in Christ. When you're put in Christ, or what Romans will say, when you're baptized in, into Christ, it's just a dramatic way of, again, showing you're, you're in Christ. You are holy mm -hmm. because you're in Christ. You're covered in Christ. So you become godly positionally at that moment. And then, and then you take on godliness progressively as you, as you walk with him and talk with him in the sense of you grow in him and sanctification. And so that is the when, um, going back to your question of when is it appropriate? When is it appropriated? Well, it's appropriated. That's what I'm thinking you're asking. When, yeah. when does it come? Mm -hmm. It comes positionally at the moment of regeneration, at the moment of repentance and faith. When regeneration happens, you see your, your, you then are awakened. You can see Christ. You can see your sin. You turn to Christ. You repent of your sins. You are immediately with, with no reservation as holy as you will ever be mm -hmm. in the sight of God. Hmm. And then at that point, he begins to now practically or personally or progressively, however you want to say it, he begins to make you what you already are. And that is that progressive step-by-step -step path of growing in Christ-likeness, what we call sanctification, where we are being set apart from what? Sin. We're being set apart from sin and set unto God. All of that literally means godly or holy. We're being set apart from sin day by day, meaning less sinful, less sinful, 
and what? More holy, more holy. That's mm-hmm. called sanctification, which the word literally just means to be set apart. Mm-hmm. Um, That's good. Uh, yeah, and so so it's it's appropriated in a moment, completely, positionally, and progressively over time by way of practically, personally. And of course, none of that is complete until glorified in heaven. I think I heard it said once already, not yet. That's, that's, there's, yeah. there's, there's truth to that for sure. Yeah. So awesome. Now, uh, last one I would say is, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure how to ask this, but how much, how much I would say, how much is sanctification? Uh, how, how necessary is it? Not sanctification, godliness. Yeah. <laughs> Stay on topic, buddy. Uh, but it's all, you know, kind of meshed together. You're good. Um, You're good. Godliness. Uh, how much is godliness? You know, what is what is the significance of it, I would say, or how much that would be uh, kind of like that. Uh, how much are we to practice it is another question. Because, you know, is it because you're saying that we are made godly at the point of salvation uh, and then it's a progressive thing, but you know, how much are we supposed to be practicing godliness and you know, where do we, where do we go from, from just that one initial part, you know, when, when Christ calls us? Yeah. I, I would say, I would say without reservation um, that godliness is the, is the core of the Christian life. Mm-hmm. It is, it is the ultimate uh, meaning practical daily, right? Mm-hmm. It is our daily bread, meaning it's our daily food. It's our daily pursuit. It is what we do. It is who we are. It is what we're after. It's constantly, we are going after godliness, meaning what? What did I go all the way back to the beginning? We're pursuing God, right? We're Mm -hmm. wanting to know him. We're wanting to be like him. We're wanting to please him. We're wanting to glorify him, i.e. we're wanting to be godly. And so that godliness is helpful because it takes those, I don't want to say esoteric, but he takes those big platitudes. I want to know God, I want to, I want to see God. I want to glorify God. Those are big platitudes, big pursuits, right? Mm -hmm. And it brings it down to my daily life. That's godliness. So therefore, right. I'm kind to my children. I'm, I'm patient with my wife. I'm, I'm forgiving with my daughters. I'm repentant to my children. Um, I'm uh, humble towards my congregation because I know how sinful I am or, you know, it's all these things that we're doing daily because it's pursuing godliness. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, the reality is that you can never have too much Mm -hmm. because you never gain it, right? You're never done. It's the race you never finish, right? Because (laughs) because you are never going to complete it. And all ministries that way, think about it, right? Yeah. As like for me as a pastor or just for you as a, as a lay, as a, as a, as a, um, a, a lay leader of sorts, mm-hmm. right? We are involved in the same ministry. It's a ministry we will never finish. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. We're called to, uh, we're called to take the gospel to the four corners of the globe. We're called to uh, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We're called to uh, serve one another and all these things we do personally, but then on a corporate level for the church, we will never finish the job. Hmm. We have it for a short window. That's why the, one of the greatest analogies of the, of, the, of the Christian life, or better yet, the church ministry life, is a, is a relay race, right? And so hmm. we're giving the baton of the gospel, and this is what Paul meant when he told Timothy, right? Guard that which has been deposited to you. 
Take care of it. I've given it to you. It's mm -hmm. like the baton. The baton has been passed. Now right. you run the race. My race is done. Second Timothy four. I'm about ready to go. I'm being poured out like a drink offering. Timothy, run. Be faithful. Do these things. And then Timothy, find faithful men. Pass it off to them. That's the way it goes, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so, so how much? It's every day until I die, because that's the goal. That's the that's the calling. That's the commission. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's, this is, this is what we do. This is uh, where we go. And I can never get enough, meaning not a, in a negative, meaning in the positive, I can never know God enough. The more I know him, the more I want to know him. Right. The more I see him, the more of him I want. That's mm -hmm. Moses on the mountain, right? Yeah. Show me more. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, and the good thing is on the positive encouraging side is, um, back to that motivation or that emotional uh, reason that goes fits here as well, because as I'm growing in Christ likeness, be it ever sl so slowly and painfully, because to grow in Christ means I have to grow in my understanding of my sin, what we talked about the last couple times, which is always painful and always hard and always humbling. And yet the more I grow in Christ likeness, the more I want it. Yeah. Like it's like eating, eating an awesome meal. Whoever mm -hmm. eats an awesome meal and says, man, that was great. I never want to eat that again, but that was great. <laughs> right. You're like, you want more. Man, can, we, can I have that tomorrow? Yeah. Like once, I, once my belly is, 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 yeah. Can I, can, can I, can I do that again? You yeah. know? And so it is with Christ, with, with godliness. Mm -hmm. Hold on one second. Sorry. Shay. I'm, I'm recording a podcast there. <laughs> yeah, you can take it. Just bring it back down here, please. Right? It should be right there. No? Right there? Yeah. Just bring it back. You, you can't be cold there. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm at home, obviously, <laughs> and uh, I, I'll probably have to cut this part out, but uh, it's, so my office is in the garage, so some mornings I come down here, it's it's pretty cold. I put on a sweat, you know, a hoodie, and yeah. I'm like, man, it's, it's still cold. I need to put something else on. But you like it cold. I do like it cold, but I, when I'm cold. sitting still, when I'm sitting still is one thing. It's like, yeah. but if I'm moving and doing stuff, like if I'm out here working, yeah, I don't, I don't need a heater. You know, I, I keep myself warm. But when I'm sitting here in front of a computer, now nah, I, I have to have some type of heater <laughs> on. But, it, but I, I'll come down here and I, I'll need that heater. And it's like I look up and it's in Shayla's room. Shayla's room is warm. I mean, it's nice and toasty in there. But it's like she's like I'm I'm cold. I'm like how are you cold? Like the heat is on in the house. You know, the, I I think I turned it off from yesterday. But our house did not get like hot. I'm sorry, it didn't get cold last night. It was I mean it's 68, 70 degrees, and that's good for yeah. like a uh, you know a springtime yeah. day. You know, it's like it's 70 degrees inside. You're under covers. You know, she's comforters. Everything still cold. I'm like my one daughter. My one daughter will wear. Uh, blankets around the house in july <laughs> it's cold all the time yeah it's yeah i i, I feel sorry for her husband because he's gonna snake 
Right. <laughs> Her husband is going to, it's going to be constant back and forth. Like I, like it was Beverly gets like that sometimes, uh, but she's mostly like, yeah, you know, we're, we're kind of like the same temperature, which I, I really am grateful for. There have been times though, cause we have the digital thermostat. I'm like, I'm going to put a password on that. <laughs> I I did what I was supposed to do. I sent her the uh the invitation to join and 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 have a account with the uh with the thermostat, but she never took it. So I'm like, well, I gave you a chance. You never did it. <laughs> so <laughs> put a password on it. Can't nobody change it. They got to call me. So all right, let's get back. All right. So I guess the last uh thing I want to ask you about is a couple of scriptures uh that go with godliness. Uh, you mentioned. First uh, Timothy four seven, uh, which is train yeah. yourself to godliness. That's one yep. of the the main ones. Um, I yep. do have. Go ahead. I do have some scriptures that, excuse me, mention godliness that I, that I want you to kind of explain a little bit more. So what 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 scriptures would you have? Well, I I'd mentioned to you Titus one one is just so helpful because it shows the it shows the inseparable link between godliness and God's word, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Truth and godliness go hand in hand. Godliness is the result of God's word, I like to say. Paul says, Titus 1, 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, there you go, which accords with godliness. Mm -hmm. So his point is, salvation comes from the truth, which then manifests itself in a godly life, mm -hmm. right? And so this is so, 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 so helpful. A really, I think one of the most important verses is uh, 2 Corinthians 7, 1. And uh, when it comes to this, and it uh, says, since we have these promises, word of God, here you go, you see the connection again. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Love that verse because mm -hmm. it just 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 lays it lays it out. Um, Hebrews twelve is another one that's uh, goes back to the reality of God's character. Uh, what we were saying earlier. Um, Hebrews 12. Yeah, 28 and 29 says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, mm -hmm. for our God is a consuming fire. So reverence and awe, speaking of the fear of the Lord, speaking of holiness, godliness. You go back to uh, back a little bit in chapter 12 to verse 14. He commands, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Hmm. A scary verse, actually, yeah. but uh, very, very, uh, very, very clear. Um, another one is, um, and you've heard me use this or talk about this as it relates to eschatology. But again, it's speaking of the character of God and who he is and what he's going to do. Is Second Peter three, verse eleven. He's this is after he's talked about what the day of the Lord's going to be like, and how the earth is going to be consumed by fire out of the judgment of God, and all these things are going to happen. 
And then he says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for and hasten and the waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. And so again, speaking to the fact of in light of who God is and what he said, we should be people marked by holiness and mm -hmm. godliness. Of course, back earlier in Second Peter is when he literally commands to put on godliness in this diatribe of things that Peter, after he talks about um, having the precious and great promises, and therefore we have everything through them, through God's word, for living a life of godliness. That's uh, first. That's Second Peter 1, 3, and 4. Mm -hmm. And then he goes on and he says, therefore, for this very reason, you know, you're going to be partakers of the divine nature. That's his point. For this very reason, since you're going to be holy and going to be godly, put on then um, self-control, steadfastness, godliness. So the command there to put it on to be godly. Um, First Timothy is the verse that we've used in our Bible study since we've been talking about godliness for almost four years. <laughs> yeah <laughs> almost four years if that goes back to your question how long well we've been studying it for four years yeah and i feel like we're just getting started oh man so uh he uh first timothy 4 7 have nothing to do with their irreverent silly myths rather train yourselves for godliness for while bodily training is of some value godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Hmm. So, um, and then uh, over in chapter six, he uses again, godliness multiple times. Godliness comes up most specifically in the pastoral epistles. Um, that would be uh, Timothy and Titus. Mm -hmm. And um, he says in chapter six, uh, teach these things, urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our of our Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ, and and the teaching here it is again, that accords with godliness. Again, you, you gotta love how teaching or preaching or better yet, learning and living go hand in hand. It's never about learning. It's meaning it's never about head knowledge alone. It's about head, heart, and hands. Right. And it's the whole person. Right. So again, here again, he's he's speaking very clearly to the fact that that it's about teaching truth and living it out teaching that accords with godliness and if a person says essentially i'm a christian i understand what you're saying but they don't have a godly life paul goes on he is puffed up and with conceit and understands nothing he has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy dissension slander evil suspicions and and constant friction among people among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Here you go. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. And then down even further, he brings it up again. He tells Timothy, this is directly to Timothy, but as for you, O man of God, verse 11. things, yep, pursue righteousness, there's the righteousness we talked about, godliness, faith love steadfastness gentleness and on he goes hmm. so you know there's just a few verses 
um, we could we could pull out a few more, especially if we stretched it over to um, to uh, holiness or talked more generally about growing in the grace of Christ and all those types of things. Mm -hmm. Well, one of my questions that I wanted to kind of bring up, uh, one was uh, first Timothy six, six godliness with contentment is great gain. And uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because I know that I just asked you that question about scriptures about godliness and, you know, I was expecting maybe one or two, but uh, I think I wrote down six, seven <laughs> of scriptures that literally dealt with godliness and yeah. and uh, how to practice it and why to practice it and all those things. Um, the other, I, I don't know where it is, but this is one of those things that I heard coming up uh, is in my churches that I've you know attended was talking about godliness, uh, having a form of godliness, but denying the power That's thereof. Titus. Is that Titus? Titus 1. What yeah. is that? What is Titus that? Titus 1 is about verse 15. He's talking about, well, it, it comes up a couple times. Um, it's uh, why you're, are you still in Timothy? Uh, still, I was. I, I went yeah. to Titus now. Well, uh, well, let's go over to Titus and then we can go back to Timothy. Yeah. So um, you could send verse 16. It says they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. Um, so there he's talking about the same thing that you're talking about. Um, and then if you go back over to um, so it says the same thing that we're going to look at over in in Timothy. But they profess to know God, but they deny that they deny him by their life. So it goes back to what I was saying. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian, but um I have no godly life. Now you go back to second Timothy chapter three. This is the exact uh, verse that you were alluding to. It's in second Timothy chapter three. And again, it's going to say the same thing. It's just going to use it a different phrase. Verse five. Uh, he says, having the appearance of godliness, That's the one. but denying its power, avoid such people. Now mm -hmm. here's what's interesting about this context. He's talking about what it'll be like in the last days mm -hmm. and it'll be godlessness, right? Mm -hmm. That's his point. Biblical God, God, godliness will be devoid. There will be an appearance, meaning a morality, right? There will be a, 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 an assemblance of, you know, I'm a nice person or whatever. But then when you look at it, they don't, it's just an outward appearance. It's not an inward conviction. It's not a true character of their life. It's just a claim. And so what's interesting about this, when you read this passage, he says, it starts out in verse one, but understand this that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self lovers of money proud arrogant abusive disobedient to their parents ungrateful unholy heartless un unappeasable slanderous without self-control brutal not loving good treacherous reckless swollen with conceit lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of god having the appearance of godliness but denying its power avoid such people for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning but never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as it was of those two men. 
I think it's interesting mm. that I believe the context of this passage in, in, in chapter three here is not talking about the world specifically. He's talking about the church. That's crazy. It is crazy. That's crazy. He's not, he's not speaking because the world's always been this way. Mm. Go all the way back to Genesis. Right? Yeah. The world, is, the world has never stopped being disobedient to parents lovers of self right. like really i mean we're born that way that's how so, you define the world exactly and the yeah. bible shows that right and so the point is he's i believe he's talking about uh, alexander and hymenaeus that's who he's talking about uh, specifically which um which you know he's brought up already multiple times and these were disqualified elders who were false teachers and real real uh problems in the church mm -hmm. and so this clearly has direct correlation to the world, right? The world's going to get worse. But the point is the world doesn't have an appearance of godliness. The world doesn't want anything to do with godliness. Mm -hmm. What does? A false church, a false yeah. Christian. Mm -hmm. They have the appearance. They've got the, they've got the claim. They just don't have the character because they do not have the Holy Spirit. They deny its power. They don't have the power to, like I said, it hasn't been delivered to them. It's not a gift of the gospel. It's something they're trying to gain. And so I believe when Paul is talking here, he's not just talking about the world. That's a no-brainer. That's there. So I don't deny that the world will take on more and more of this character. I just think, I think he's talking about what it's going to be like for the world in that there are going to be many people who claim to be Christians. That's why Paul says, avoid such people. Well, he doesn't need to tell Christians to avoid the world. That, I mean, he says that. That's been said a yeah. million times. Yeah. He's saying the same exact thing that I read in Titus, because over in Titus, it says, avoid these people in chapter 3. Have nothing to do with them. He's saying the same thing here, which is very scary and very shocking when you see that passage and think, and think that. Yeah, uh, scary because if you look at this, this actual like list, of stuff it's where we are is oh my goodness and i had this conversation with somebody on facebook the other day and uh uh they posted love yourself and i was very hesitant to answer because um and as i look back at it i probably should have left it alone um but it's one of those things where it's like the the scripture that they're actually using is uh it's matthew 22 uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, you know, soul, mind, yeah. and love your love neighbor as yourself. Yeah. And saying that that is a direct command to love ourselves. And I was like, do I even take the time to explain no. this or yeah, like what should I even do? He doesn't command that. Yeah. In that verse, it is not a command to love yourself. It, the assumption is the command is built on the very reason, the very fact is everyone already loves themselves yeah no one needs to be commanded we're born loving ourselves so the command is love your neighbor as much as you love yourself and you're going someplace yeah because that's impossible to do the, unless the, you're a believer but the as yourself is like as yourself as yourself it's like you to see you're supposed to love yourself so we take so much time and this is not my words these yeah. are their words uh, you know, we take so much time loving everybody else. We need to love ourselves. And I'm like, you know what? We already love ourselves way too, too much. much. Exactly. Way too much. We love ourselves way too much. And I don't know anywhere in scripture where it says for us specifically 
you know, son, daughter, love yourself and then love others. And I'm like, you know, we're selfish just 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 because of who we are. I don't have to. And we were talking about this the other day. Like we didn't have to teach our kids uh, how to be selfish and how to say mine and, you know, all these things. It's just in them. You never have to tell somebody or teach somebody to love themselves. Yeah. Even somebody who is mutilating themselves, whether it's cutting or whatever, or dealing with some sort of self-harm or whatever, that tends to be driven, not not always and not only, but it tends to be at the core of a prideful, selfish person that cares about themselves. Yeah. They're wanting more attention. Yeah, more attention. More. That's, that's what it is. Yeah. And so we are selfish and and loving ourselves to the core. He says the same thing in Ephesians 5 when he talks about a husband loving his wife. Mm-hmm. And the husband loves his wife just like he loves himself. He literally says that. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're commanded. He, he cherish and nur- nourish the wife as he cherishes and nourishes his own body because everybody does that. So that's an assumed reality that is undeniable for, um, for, for everyone. So, uh, yeah, yeah, but that's, that's, that's the world. Yeah. I was with a group of people uh, over the weekend that um, was interesting, just uh, sad, sad, um, taking a class and, and the leader of the class was, was uh, um, to say it, just to say it, was quite vulgar mm-hmm. in how he spoke mm-hmm. and the, uh, the language that he used. He's a military guy. Not that military gives you the right to be vulgar, but it is part of that, that motif. Culture. That yeah. culture, right? And it's mm-hmm. common. And I get that. I, I understand that. But that doesn't make it right, mm-hmm. especially now that he's not a military guy. Not that it's right to do that in the military, but at least there you're in that culture. And But this person's not. And, uh, and he's a business person. And it's just like, I mean, I had to swim through this when I was around this individual throughout the weekend. And, um, and lo and behold, he calls himself a Christian. Mm. Like multiple times, yeah. Or, you know, talk, I, he 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 talks about church that he goes to church every Sunday, and so that's this passage right here, right? So here's this guy who's got a a, a mouth that would make a you know a sailor blush, wow. and yet he's talking about going to church every Sunday, yeah. and I'm and I'm sitting there going, man, you're as lost as lost can be, mm-hmm. and my heart broke for him, honestly, mm-hmm. yeah, but uh, just sad because that's this passage. That's Man, guy. that's crazy. Yep. And uh, having the appearance of godliness, but denying yep. its power. How do you deny the power? Like how how is that even how has that even come about? <clears throat> well, you deny it because you're you're driven by self, mm-hmm. not by the spirit, right? Mm-hmm. So you're leaning whatever whatever that appearance is. It's man driven, not spirit driven. Right. Because you deny it because you're not going to humble yourself and follow God. You're going to go your own way. You're going to develop your own. It's the man-centered gospel. It's Joel Osteen and the like, right? It's all driven towards my method, my system, my my pursuit, right? Mm-hmm. Rather than humbling myself and repenting of sin. Well, we're not going to talk about sin. We're we're you know I'm not going to I'm not going to I'm not going to ask you to repent of sin. I'm not going to call you a sinner and say you you need to confess your sin. No, I'm not going to do that. Well, what have you done? You did not. You did. You totally denied the power. Mm. You denied the power of God. Because you have you have uh, forsaken God's way with man's way, to man's way. Man, yeah, that's good. Well, uh, I think we've uh, we've covered a whole lot uh, with godliness. Um, 
I would encourage everybody that's listening, if you have not already, uh, to tune in on Saturday, the Saturday mornings that we have the men's Bible study. It the lit- it, We literally talk about godliness and the pursuit of godliness. Um, it's not a thing of uh, the works as he was talking about. Uh, it's it's basically the roots that we are talking about. And we've spent all this time uh, they before I was in <laughs> in the church. But uh, then they uh, I mean, it's just so much to talk about. That is, is awesome stuff. So every man and we have some women that join in right now that are since we're uh, doing the uh, simulcast uh, YouTube, but I would imagine that some other women would join even after we're back in session and, and meeting together. But uh, I would definitely encourage every man that's listening to this to definitely tune into that. And uh, Matt, I appreciate this. And Yeah, we're uh, going to be doing the, a whole new uh, Wednesday night study on sin yeah. for probably most of the summer. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. That'll so. this this will this will actually air uh, this coming Wednesday, uh, the 13th. So uh, next Wednesday, which will be the 20th. Yes. Yeah, I think the 20th will start a whole new series on on uh, on sin that will go deep into sin and, you know, biblically where it comes from, why, what it is, who it's against, mm-hmm. what is original sin, how important understanding original sin is, how do we kill sin? Why do we still struggle with sin? All of those things. Yeah. Specific sins that we wrestle with, whether it's pornography, dealing with that, dealing with anger, dealing with selfishness, pride, arrogance, heart, heart hermeneutics. We're going to go through that, which is so helpful. Um, the That's examination. A, the examination. The, I, that sounds interesting. Heart hermeneutics. Yeah. 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 So evaluating, exegeting, you know, hermeneutics, exegeting the heart, just like you you, you, the science and study of scripture, that's what hermeneutics is. We're going to do the science and study of the heart because you cannot talk about sin without talking about the heart because the heart is the wellspring of sin. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, we're going to be, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be very quite in depth and quite hopefully helpful in teaching us and equipping us to kill sin. Good. Learning what that is, how we do it. Yeah. So good. Well, I look forward to that. And uh, this, I, I want to try to, at the end of each podcast, kind of advertise a little bit, you know, some of the things that are coming up. So uh, the Sin 2 podcast that we did before was just literally me just saying, hey, I want to talk about sin. And then it's like, oh, well, I did not realize that he's doing literally a summer uh, uh, of sin. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's not, probably not the best way no. to say it. <laughs> a summer study on sin. There you <laughs> a go. summer there study you go. on sin. The summer of sin. <laughs> yeah, no, that, would not, that would not be good. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're studying a, a summer study, and the topic is sin. And, uh, and uh, of course, uh, the godliness that we talked about today uh, would definitely be the, the counter to that. And that is what we talk about during the men's Bible study. So you all should definitely look for that. One of the things we're going to, I'm going to look at, I'm going to help our people understand. And this helps you understand why sin is so maligned and uh, uh, denied and hated today. It, it goes hand in hand with the doctrine of hell, right? Hmm. The doctrine of hell is a, is a doctrine that most people have never heard of and want nothing to do with, right? Most people, I mean, most people today couldn't tell you a sermon they've ever heard on hell, 
let alone somebody bringing it up just within a sermon, right? And yet it is so vital to rightfully understanding the gospel. It's so vital to rightfully understanding sin. One of the reasons why we do not understand sin as serious as we should is because we have no understanding of hell. You take hell out of the equation, sin makes no sense. Mm -hmm. And that's what the modern church has done. So when you see hell as, as God declares hell to be, sin now can be seen for all of its evil and wickedness. Because sin is the doorway that, that literally walks you into hell. And so once you see the, those two together, it really opens your eyes and your mind to sin as the ultimate evil of all evils on the planet. Well, that's a question I just realized I didn't ask is uh, where does sin take us? I should have asked that question during there the sin go. podcast because that would have been a good little question there to answer. But uh, I definitely look forward to this study uh, this summer. Uh, it's, it's definitely going to be good. Thank you all for tuning in today. I hope you all enjoyed it. Please uh, direct any questions to the truth talks podcast at gmail.com. Also visit our website at Bellcroft. BibleChurch.org. Now, here is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The biblical gospel starts with God. Out of nothing, God made everything, including you and me, to bring himself much pleasure. His purpose for us as humanity was to love, obey, and enjoy him perfectly. Instead of this, man has sinned against our loving Creator and acted in rebellion. Since God is good, and just. He must punish sin that deserves eternal, conscious punishment under God's wrath in hell. But God, being merciful, loving, and gracious, had a plan to punish sin, and so be a just judge, and yet forgive sinners, and so display mercy, by sending his own Son, Jesus Christ, the co-equal and co-eternal Son of God, to take on human flesh, fulfilling his perfect requirements in the place of sinners, loving, obeying, and enjoying him perfectly. Furthermore, Jesus bore the full wrath of God upon the cross, and he satisfied the eternal anger of God, standing in a place of sinners, though he was himself perfectly sinless. God showed his acceptance of Christ's sacrifice by raising Jesus from the dead after three days in the grave. Now Jesus commands everyone everywhere to repent, turn from their sin, and believe, trust in him. This is the glorious transaction. God then charges Christ's perfection to the sinner and no longer views him as an enemy, but instead an adopted son and daughters covered in the perfect righteousness of his son. We can now have peace with God and have eternal life with him forever. It's true for every person in every culture, in every place, in every language through all time. So our response to this good news is repentance and faith. Dear hearer, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Turn from your sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this day be reconciled to God. Thanks for tuning in today. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment. If you have a question, please send them to the Truth Talks Podcast at gmail.com. Visit our Instagram and Twitter at the Truth Talks Podcast and visit our website at bellcroftbiblechurch.org. Delighting in the word that we might walk in the truth.
ministry of Bellcroft Bible Church.